You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us um, in this edition of um, the of Writers Live with Leslie Streeter, author of Black Widow. Um, I'm August. Um, I'm a representative of the Ivy Bookshop. I'm a bookseller there. Um, and I just want to, as always, thank the Pratt Library for, um, for collaborating with us on this series. Um, it's meant so much to us, especially over the past year. Um, Although in that vein, um, the Ivy is starting to have in-person events again, which we're really excited about. Um, that should include maybe occasional Pratt authors, including Leslie Streeter. Um, she'll be signing outside at the Ivy on Saturday um, the 17th from 1 to 3 p.m. Um, she's done events with us earlier this year as well, so we've been gathering strength from her words for a long time. And I know a lot of people have also gathered strength from her words, especially again with the past year we've had. Um, it's really important for someone who can talk about both seriousness and humor. Um, I'll add a link to purchase her book, um, Black Widow, in the description or bleh, in the chat um, in just a few moments. Um, thanks again, everyone, for attending, and I will hand it back to the Pratt Library now. Thank you so much, August. We love working with you and everyone at the Ivy, and we're excited that we have the in-person signing component um, with Leslie's book event as well. Um, so welcome friends near and far. I'm Tracy Diamond, the adult programs coordinator at the Enoch Pratt Free Library. So thank you for joining us today for a special Writers Live with Leslie Gray Streeter, author of Black Widow. Before introductions, some virtual logistics, um, if you are watching in Zoom, please use the chat to post your questions. And if you're watching on Facebook, please post in the comments. I'll be monitoring both, so we'll make sure to get to as many questions as possible. Um, so today we are thrilled to host Leslie Gray Streeter in conversation with Melanie Hood Wilson. I laughed and cried while reading her book, um, and I just had chills so often with her insights of living through grief. Um, like how she wrote about grief is a reminder that you can't crawl out of your own skin. And reading her book in COVID, I was also just so struck by how much community matters in grief. So we are, we have her today in conversation with Melanie, and hopefully they'll touch on the fireball star, story, um, because like August, yes, <laughs> good, good. Like August said, there's so much, I mean, yes, um, Black Widow's about grief, but it is a sad, funny journey through grief for people who normally avoid books with the words like journey in the title. So it's just really excellent. Um, and I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that in the latest edition of Compass, we also have um, Leslie's Pratt story. So definitely check that out too, to hear about her connections to the Northwood branch and growing up going there. So Leslie Gray Streeter is an author, veteran journalist, and speaker whose memoir, Black Widow, was published in March 2020 by Little Brown and Company. Until recently, she was the longtime entertainment and lifestyle columnist and writer for the Palm Beach Post. A native of Baltimore, Maryland, and a University of Maryland graduate, she and her work have been featured in the Miami Herald, the Washington Post, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Atlantic, the Today Show, the Oprah Magazine, and more. She lives with her son, Brooks, and her mother, Tina, in her hometown of Baltimore, which she moved back to last summer. She's a slow runner, an amateur vegan cook, and a true crime and law and order enthusiast, as well as a proud former regular at the Northwood branch of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. And now for Melanie Hood Wilson. After receiving her BA, in 93 and her MSED in 94 from Sarah Lawrence College, Melanie Hood Wilson returned to Baltimore to teach. In 2001, she was hired to lead the single step program at CCBC, growing the program from eight students to over 300 and winning five local and statewide awards. In 2019, she launched Melanie Hood Wilson and Associates, 
which provides trainings and accountability planning in diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as academic and disability support. So please give a warm virtual welcome to Leslie Gray Streeter and Melanie Hood Wilson. I have to tell you, I've done a lot of these things last year. Everything was on Zoom. This is the first time I think that I was really kind of emotionally overwhelmed. I think that um, being in back in Maryland and being, you know, having my friend who, you know, is in the book and who is part of that community and village that helped me and my mother and my sister just logged on and said that they were here and Pratt, which means so much to me. You can read the story in the Compass magazine. It's just I'm never at a loss for words, anyone will tell you, but I'm a little, a little verklempt right now. And I want to say thank you, Tracy. That was a really amazing introduction. And I'm so happy to be here to interview and talk to and be witnessed in conversation with my bestie, Leslie. And or so as we say I'm, in Baltimore, conversate. We're going to conversate for a good 45 minutes plus with you all today, um, or for you, you get to witness us in conversation. <laughs> um, so since we have this amazing event about my very best friend for almost 40 years, let's talk about me. So <laughs> Leslie and I met in eighth grade. So let's talk about that. One of us was an incredibly unpleasant person and one of us was um, delightful, and we did not get along. And why were you so unpleasant, Melanie? Um, <laughs> that was not exactly the history, but if you want to re revise history, go right ahead. Here's what happened. So Melanie was at Hamilton, uh, what was then Hamilton Middle School, and my sister and I had moved to Saudi Arabia. We were in Chinquapin for sixth grade, half of sixth grade, like three months of sixth grade, and then moved to Riyadh, and were in Riyadh for a year and a half, half of sixth grade, all of seventh, and then came back to the advanced academic program, but it was not available at Chinquapin, so Hamilton was the closest, so we wind up in this place where all these kids have known each other for three, four years, well, some of them, like, you know, and we had not, and we came back, and yes, I was kind of snobby, but mostly because I was nervous about being back in this country, and I was um, insecure, and snotty, and I, I will admit that, and I just kind of had a moment and went with it, and I thought that Melanie was kind of dizzy, and um, she was more my sister's friend than mine, so I was like, eh, who that? Yes, it was me, it me, it me. Yeah. And then we came together that summer around um, feeling mutually slighted by an awful a boy. boy. <laughs> an awful, awful boy. What brings women together? Terrible men. Yes. It's how many movies from nine to five to like, what was that movie? <laughs> the perfect, was a movie with like the three women that were all like dating the same man or whatever. And they, oh, like, I know the one you're talking it about. It was a bad Cameron movie. Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So we didn't do that. He wasn't worth shenanigans. We were no, but we, what we learned with that though was he was not worth shenanigans, but we were worth each other's time. We were. It was and like, I think we like each other. And rather, we did. And, we and rather than beat those women in movies who went, we like the same boy, so we're not going to be friends. We said, forget that guy. Yeah. We're going to be friends now. Yes. We were like, this guy sucks, but you're cool. <laughs> I'll hang out with you. Yes. He sucked. Suck. anyway i wish him well he's if he's watching which he's not we wish you well if, oh boy yeah if you're watching you're a grown man now you're a 50 we're sure you don't suck anymore you grew out of it i'm guessing we hope best of luck best of luck um, on your endeavors of not sucking so i think one of the things that i found most interesting about you back during that time was that you were one of the few people i mean balmer's balmer so you were one of the few people I knew, or, or Baltimore's Baltimore, where you had actually lived in another place. You had had these experiences that most of us had not had. You kind of marched to your own drummer in yeah. a way that was unusual for um, a preteen in the 80s. But so did you. But so That's did you. That's probably why I liked you. It, it's true. Um... 
Can I tell the life, um, the game of life story? Whatever. Okay. So I'm it, an open book. All right. So I guess it was my 14th birthday party. We had a, um, a summer party at our house in Northwood near the Northwood branch. And this is before we liked each other. But it was fine. I'll tell us only because we bonded so much around the pop culture and things that we liked. Even we didn't like each other. We were like, wait a minute. So both of us were in love with George Michael. We had no idea that that would have been futile um, had we met George Michael. And, and years later, Melanie flew down to Florida to see him with me. No, so. you flew me. No, you bought me as a birthday gift. Oh, yes, I did. George Michael mm -hmm. tickets. That was you, girl. Yes, but previously at 14, um, you do the game of life and you have the little pegs, like it's you and your husband and your kids. So I had the little peg next to me that I said was George Michael. So Melanie, at my own birthday party, rammed my car knocked the peg that was me out of the car <laughs> and ran it over and said George Michael is mine <laughs> I um, know what I want and I know how to get it terrible terrible like I said this is funny is that that was the, the postscript is that we then went to see George Michael together um yeah. because once again friendship is more important than stupid boys or George Michael and that was one of the best concerts I've ever been to when we went to see George Michael down in Fort Lauderdale. Remember, great. he was sick, and yet he still came out and performed on Sexy Time. So yeah, he sat there like, time, yeah. this concert was supposed to start when? Ahem. But he was on his own Sexy Time. And, it and was he fantastic. did not disappoint. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I, I love to tell that story, how I got to see George Michael in its very last U.S. performance Absolutely. ever before Ever. his retirement and unfortunately death after that yes yep so you are a baltimorean but yes. you are a baltimorean who unlike a lot of baltimoreans has lived on multiple continents mm -hmm. and you have lived all over the united states but you keep that baltimore spirit right there with you which is something yes. i you know respect as a baltimorean thank you um so being away for 30 years which is a long time pennsylvania well, florida like what's it like being back it's weird because i feel like i was away but i wasn't because for a little of that i was for eight years of that i was in york so yes. even though i wasn't living in baltimore i was in baltimore to see you uh mm -hmm. every You're other baltimore weekend. adjacent yeah so it's baltimore adjacent but having not lived in the city since 1992 was really interesting but it it did not surprise me that Baltimore is such a place of habit and I fell right back in even though I'm not in the neighborhood that I grew up in I am back in a city and I'm actually even though I ride the bus right now I'm paying attention to the bus routes and mm -hmm. you know I'm I can literally go on Facebook and say where do I find oysters and like 12 people will go here it is and they know and they yeah. go why well, here's near you have triangulated a thing and here's the closest to you but they close at five so you should get there um it's just as it really is just as friendly and weird and cranky but in a beautiful way um and lovely and dangerous in some ways mm. that's part of it unfortunately but also I feel safer here than I feel anywhere. I feel um, more myself. I feel like I'm right back into this sort of weird, and I will say it's weird black girl, because when we were growing up, there was like, we were the weird black girls. We were the girls yeah. that liked different kind of music and were people like, you're a dork. We're like, yeah, so you know and we were open about and it's before reading. being and it's before being a nerd or an outlier was cool because yes. now we would be called unicorns i'm a unicorn yes. back then people were just like what the heck are you doing and nobody wanted to be that you would have lied and said no no i don't read at all I and mean, we were never those people were like you got us also yeah. my sister and i always had books with us so it's, it was like what's that a book tumbling out of your purse yeah, a friend of mine, actually, um, his description of me to my daughter, we went to high school together, his description of me to my daughter was, yeah, Melanie always had a book. <laughs> I was like, I don't recall that, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll well, take and that. I think that people who are like that, like people find each other. And yes. we, we found each other. We found, we and all of our friends, it's so funny because people would say, well, Black girls aren't like that. I was like, but all of my friends are black girls and they're all like that. Yeah. At a, a, 
a mixture of schools and places and I would go to college mm-hmm. and I'd find those people and I'd move anywhere and I'd find those people. Oh, we're a tribe. We're I remember tribe. reading books by Brittany Cooper and, and Michelle Obama and Absolutely. they all have chapters about being that outlier black girl from our generation, that outlier generation X black girl who loves to read and gets good grades and mm-hmm. likes to talk about things outside of like pop culture and music all the time and or maybe different pop culture and different mm-hmm. music and how you know everyone looks at you in the community like what are you who are you and it's been interesting reading these books by these really amazing women who are roughly our age and being like oh there's a tribe of us yeah so we were yeah we were similar folks who yeah. immediately repelled but then attracted but then there's Scotty, and that is an opposites attract kind of story, at least if you look at it from a high school perspective. Well, sure. I and I didn't know him then, but no. I only know him from them through your stories about Scotty yes. from then. He was a weirdo. We were all weirdos. We were different kind of weirdos. He was oh, like- I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you. For anybody who's listening who doesn't, Scott, Scotty's of course your, your late, amazing husband. My late husband, Scott Zervitz. And in high school, he was this guy who- you know, jet black hair, he dressed like a beastie boy, and he and his friend Ben shared an Audi um, hood ornament that they wore around their necks like idiots, and I've, to this day, if I ask for Scott's story, someone will tell me a gambling story in the hallway, <laughs> or a Pimlico racing, uh, racing farm story, or whatever, he was just a, a bad teenage bad boy stereotype, but he was also just a lovely person, just... Mm-hmm. I've known him to be, it, even the people that said, oh yeah, we were gambling in the hallway and I think he still owes me money. Um, they were also like, he was generous. He would literally give you his jacket. He would drive everybody home. He was that guy. So I only knew him as the goofball. I didn't know this other part of him. We weren't in the same group. Um, he claims that he had a crush on me. People actually corroborated that, which I wanted to punch him because as you know, I was like, yes. no one liked me. It, and it, it was painful being your friend back then because like, you know, you would always be like, no one's asking me how nobody wants to. And I'm just like, I don't get it. We don't go to the same school. So I don't have a way that I could really explain this or rationalize this, but what the heck's going on? And then to read... <laughs> All those years later, yeah. you know, like what I, if I did math it, I guess 30 ish years later, yeah. yeah, that you actually could have been dating. Yeah. There could have been people asking you out, but this guy was completely this barrier between you yes. and having a romantic life yes. during your years. But never asked me as, out. As, never asked you out. And as sweet as that is, that he was like pining for you and all the guys rallied around him because he was pining for you. Um, maybe step forward and say something. <laughs> yes, but I, I had in therapy, I had to give that up because I, I can't argue with them anymore. So yeah, right. And it, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. I mean, we've actually, we had a conversation that said, what do you think would have happened if we dated in high school? He said, oh, we would have broken up by now. I go, yeah, you're right. Mm. Because those people in high school probably should not have dated, but those people in their late thirties were in a position to like each other. I remember being down in um, West Palm Beach with you when you told me, you told me that you were dating this guy and he'd gone to city and you'd known him then, but you weren't friends and you weren't um, dating or anything, but here he was and he was interested. And we were going to some like really pretentious high-end wine bar um, (laughs) and he was going to come up from, I want to say Boca maybe. Yeah. Boca, to join yeah. us and for people who don't do a lot of driving in south florida that's what like an hour i guess half, uh, it like, was half an hour half an, half an hour. hour okay so it's maybe like annapolis to baltimore yeah yeah and he had been working and you're like yeah he's gonna get off work he's gonna come up here and he's gonna you know join us at this wine bar and i'm thinking mm, okay because i mean i didn't like no you know i didn't like a lot of the guys you dated did not and I remember spending time with him that evening. And first of all, the fact that he got off of work and drove all the way up half an hour to just go to a wine bar with you and a friend he had never met. And didn't drink. He didn't drink. And he didn't drink. And he wasn't wasn't someone who drank, but he wanted to join us at this wine bar. And he was, not only was he just sweet, which he was, but he was so clearly in love with you. And 
I just remember that night of thinking that for the first time in all the years that you'd been dating folks and as an adult woman, oh, this guy could be it. This could be the dude. And I, of course, was like, no. Well, no. when did you know he was the dude? I, I didn't know at that moment because it seemed like it was working too well and I was always used to drama and terror. So I was- Other shoe dropping. Uh, exactly. So I was like, this guy is obviously employed and not crazy. So um, why would he be interested in me? So there you are. Anyway. Um, <laughs> not a hobo. Because as I recall, we referred to, and I, I don't even, that's a politically correct term. But you can't even it, say that anymore. Yes, yeah. But, oh, um, I'm sorry. Mm. No, but it's true at the time, because I just, I used to say that, you know, with the Dentimore, uh, can of Dentimore in front of a box car. But yeah, I had bad taste in dudes. And that's in the book. I'm very honest about that. That I was like, you know what? They, it was not cool. And this guy who we had so much in common, and this is in the book. And I, I, it's so funny that I didn't write the book in Baltimore, but I write a lot about Baltimore in the book. And I talk about how being from this place that was very multicultural, but still very, you know, even more so than, than now, the very ethnic delineations of neighborhoods and places and stuff but that we all knew each other we knew who each other were and going to citywide schools like Baltimore City College or School for the Arts for you that we had this chance to get to know people who were from across the city Mm -hmm. and sometimes in another county depending on what they were wanting to study and so our cultures were not um, a mystery to each other yeah Um, and that worked a lot and there was we were the kind of people that we would go places and we'd be in Florida, they go, and here is Maryland crab soup. We'd go, that's so cute. Look at you. Is it though? Is it? Uh, We were the worst, but we bonded so much in the place that we were from. Mm -hmm. And then we're able to bring that to this weird place that we both wound up randomly, wound up in randomly. Um, And it was just, it was a special thing. We just understood a lot about each other being from Baltimore. And, you know, so on that whole tip, it's, it's interesting because reading the book, it, you are in South Florida, you're dating him in South Florida, you marry him in South Florida, the whole saga is South Florida, but it's such a Baltimore story it is. in its own way. There, you, you guys just carried that down there with you, in, including your biggest fight. Oh, actually, that fight was here, but it started here. here. Okay. It was here. It was at Towson, but the biggest fight was that we, before we left, we were coming home for Thanksgiving, and we were like, we're going to do this right. We're going to do a budget. It was Black Friday. We're like, we can't just go crazy, because Scott wanted to drive up to York, and then to all the sports stores. York, they had a lot of Baltimore uh, sports merchandise, but there's no sales tax on on clothing. So the plan was we were going to come up. We did Thanksgiving with family. Then we, you know, drove. We were already we stayed the night in New York, and then hit the Galleria at like eight o'clock in the morning. And we had a bud. His budget was like of sports stuff was like two fifty, three fifty. It seemed crazy to me, but you know, jerseys are expensive. He's like, no, I got this. So we spent like half of it or more at the Galleria. All right, we're gonna go to Towson Town. We went to Lids, all these places. And he runs across. I wish I'd brought them with me. These Raven shorts that were $65 Raven shorts from Nike that had like, they were black and purple, of course. And they had the the Raven's uh, name on the side and like the NFL emblem and they were ridiculous. And that and all the other stuff he wanted to buy were, was going to get him well over his budget. And I of course had to be bad cop and go, no, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. And so he just pitches this fit now the irony is that the store is no longer there there's now an arcade in the place mm. where that is but every time I go to that arcade like I said to you last time and there in that corner <laughs> by the ski ball is where we had our worst fight um yeah. now we always got over it because that's what you do and I after he died I remember thinking oh my gosh I wonder how many hours we spent having stupid conversations and arguments and I didn't get that time we can't get that time back and now I think you can't get that back as long as you made up it's fine as long as I mean we were this is in the book we were making out when he had his heart attack and um so I know that we were in a good place yeah you know I don't have to think oh we were having a horrible fight and we never spoke again and we never got to say those things we were in a really great place and um 
I'm sorry that that happened, but I'm happy that at least it happened that way. And I'll say, I mean, about you being in a good place. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine you two ever not being in a good place, sort of the bottom line being you being in a good place. I mean, every couple has arguments, every couple bickers, but this was a man who, I, I mean, it was kind of disgusting. You could not be in a room with him without him saying, oh my gosh, my wife is the most beautiful woman, most talented woman, most amazing. I mean, he just worshiped the ground you walked on. He really you know, did. I love that. I, I and I love thinking because I think it's true. And I because I write the book about how you know I had these dumb relationships, and I meet this guy who I can't get away from, and he absolutely does love me, and it is what it is. And I and I talk about how you just knew, and I wish mm-hmm. we'd had more time. That's a line from the book. I wish we'd had more time. Yes. But there and stuff had happened. I mean, that we had lots of deaths in our family and some family stuff, and you know there was work things, and but we always came back. Yeah. to each other we always came back yeah. to this point and because it was it like i said there's a there's brochure it was you know it's meant to be um i truly believe that and i truly believe that if you we didn't know you know that we only had that finite amount yeah. of time um because mm-hmm. nobody can know that really but i we shoved so much really cool stuff like travel and concerts and really fun people we met we have this whole wall on Facebook of like all the famous people we took pictures with it's like why are you with Kenny Rogers I don't know we just are why are you with and your buddy back? Burt Reynolds your best and Bert, buddy Burt Reynolds and Bert um that that's on my desk at home um that photo of the three of us but we just had so many stories and sometimes I think you know how did we do all that because I'll tell a story and go, I've forgotten that story. And how did we do that? Because we were only together for six and a half years. We were married for five and a half. We were together as a couple for six and a half. And it just seems so weird. But I think, you know, God figured out, okay, just throw the crazy stuff at well, it. Was a, it was a Baltimore fairy tale, even though it didn't take place in Baltimore. I think of Leslie and Scott as being a Baltimore fairy tale. These two kids from Baltimore you know, found themselves in a place hours and hours and miles and miles and miles away. And she has kissed a ton of frogs and they were frogs. <laughs> Why, thank you. Why, thank you. It's true though. And then here comes, but here comes the, the hero. Aww. And he's this dude from back in your hometown. And he's like, go O's. And he's like all Raven's gear. And well, I mean, at his funeral, we I, hung his jerseys yeah. all over the funeral home for the, for the, um, oh gee, what's the word? When you, repass, when you eat as after, we call thank it. Thank you. Thank you for the repast. And I mean, it was, it's, it was such a Baltimore fairy tale, the Leslie and Scott story. And Scott, even though he lived in South Florida and you have said that you're not sure how keen he would or wouldn't have been on moving back at this point. He was just such a Baltimore boy. He had all these ties to the community. If you talked politics with him, he knew all, like he didn't just know the politics, he knew the backdoor politics. He did. He knew he did. like who bribed who or who fixed <laughs> what election. I mean, I would listen to him and think, I believe in democracy. I believe in democracy. I believe in democracy. He would have the stories about how things were rigged back in the day with the old school Baltimore Democratic machine. Scott was so Baltimore. He was. Even if he, even if he was not in love with the idea of moving back. I'm moving here. back. Well, and I, I think that too, because I'm not at this point, I don't have like a sequel uh, for the story plan for the book plan or anything, but I'm writing something else that's fiction. But part people ask about sort of where it went after part of it is that we wound up here which I think like I said that's part of the fairy tale right that's the thing that happens in the next book that's the thing that happens in the next movie is that she returns home you know or he returns home yeah. or whoever um and I'm happy to be here and I also let me say um while I have people watching that this community has embraced me and this book so much that the book was in the Baltimore Sun. I didn't know. Yeah. Someone was like, you know, your book is on the cover of the, of the feature section. I was like, it's what? Or, or that it was in the Washington Post. And just that 
I've been just embraced um, by bookstores, by the Ivy, by the mm-hmm. Pratt Library, which means so much to me, by Greedy Reads, by the Poe Museum, just all these people just have gone out of their way. Um, for we love me. a hometown girl. We're Baltimore. Thank you. And supported this book and continue to support this book because, you know, pre-COVID, you take, you have a book out and if it doesn't do anything and the first couple months, there's all these other books coming out every week. And the fact that COVID has been such a weird time to promote books. My book came out literally a week before lockdown and then everything got canceled and it was very weird and nobody liked it. (laughs) But I will say that um, it just, it's been really great. I want to talk about the part of the book that you were in because it won't know, not just the fire. I've been trying to avoid that. (laughs) What I will talk about is that um, as, uh, August mentioned that it's really about the community. The book is about community. It's about yes. the friends like yourself. Melanie was, this is in the book, was in my living room that night. I was barely really aware of it. And I came into my living room and she's sitting there in Scott's chair. I'm like, okay, everything's okay now. And then my friend Nikki was there mm-hmm. the next day. And my, my my sister was there four hours later. My mother was there six yeah. hours later. Just people just kept showing up. And that that really, everyone I've talked to about the book um, like we optioned it, we're working on some stuff to get it put another form. But everyone I've talked to said, I'm interested in your group of friends. I'm interested hmm. in your family. I'm interested in these people, these characters that showed up and made sure that you and your son were okay. And um, so Melanie, I'm telling the story now. Um, we're standing in my, it's, when I pitch this to the, I talk to Pratt, they go, oh yeah, the fireball story. So um <laughs> We're standing in my backyard and all these people coming in and out, you know, at funerals, right? Yes. You never know who's in the house. You walk around the corner, somebody's there. They left food. You don't know where the food came from. You just eat it. You hope it's okay. Um, I go in the, I just need some, a break. And Melanie goes, just come out the backyard with me. And she's holding a bottle <laughs> in a paper bag. And I go, what is that? And it's about her fireball. Now I like whiskey. I like bourbon. I'm not so much into the fireball. And she goes, we're going to get tacky and do some fireball shots. And I go, why? And you're just like, why not? And, um, and it felt like, cause you, ha- you cannot not, it's cinnamon. It's like that someone shoved cinnamon through your nostrils, yes. which is as pleasant as it sounds. It's not, um, <laughs> but it really, it was hilarious. Cause we're out there, these like two accomplished people, you know, she's got advanced degrees. I don't, but you know, I was, I was on a, a bus once I was on my, I had a billboard um we'd accomplish some stuff and we're sitting in the backyard in my backyard doing fireball shots and it was hilarious because it made you feel something that wasn't like grief it made me and the only someone that knows you really well can figure out what that thing is to make you feel that way so um to me that of all the story I had a million stories of that weekend but that was one of the better stories because it really showed when somebody knows you how well they can just kind of cut through that. And I think that people who have read the book have responded to that because in their own grief stories, um, like they mentioned, um, this year has been grieving. This whole year has been about yes, grief and loss. And even as we're getting back to some sort some sort of sense of normalcy, um, there's still people we've lost, um, mm-hmm. community, um, organizations and restaurants and businesses and things that just don't exist anymore and we'll be telling our children these stories about how we used to go to buffets and yeah how we used to go on cruises and you know all these things and two of scott's favorite things buffets and cruises um that we don't do anymore and i don't i did there was a buffet at the restaurant we went to at the hotel over the weekend oh really i thought buffets were a thing of the past they weren't like a breakfast buffet and it was like always everything. It wasn't like in a trough or anything. It was like in these dishes or on the whatever. And there was somebody watching the whole time and like switching out the tongs and whatever. So it felt very safe. But, you know, that that's all very weird. So I think that people have connected to this book because they're all grieving something. We're all grieving a sense of what we used to have. And yeah, I am, absolutely. I, if I'm, I was able to, in my own grief, write about something that helped somebody else it helped me it was very therapeutic yeah. to me well, but if it was um if it was able to help other people it was really great I see we've got like five more minutes before we start the Q&A 
Um, well, I, I just want to say if I can heal the world through cheap booze, you're welcome. So speaking of the pandemic and the craziness, the craziness of the last year or so, um, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, uh, people who I think maybe are either don't share our politics or not as in tune with the news or just, you know, are very temperature sensitive or like, why would she leave Florida <laughs> to come back to Baltimore? Why? Why? Why is because we had planned on moving anyway, because back when the book was coming out, I thought, oh, you know, it'll do good enough that um, I'll be able to do good enough, do well enough. Hi, English. Um, <laughs> my mother's cringing um, that I'll be able to move north. Um, my sister is here in Annapolis. My grandmother and her family and my mother's family are all here in Prince George's County. Um, and so it seemed like I wanted my son to grow up near his cousin and near you and near all these people. We have friends all over the place who are family and vice versa. Also, I wanted him to be in a place where people look like him. Yeah. I wanted him to have what we had growing up in Baltimore as African-Americans in a city where people who were black could be anything. There were poor black people and working class black people and middle-class people and really rich black people. And we were all together with other kinds of people. And that was not a mystery. I did not want that to be a mystery to him. I wanted him to be in a place like I grew up where you could be on a train and be in New York in three hours. And you could like drive to mm -hmm. Hershey Park and you could like be in different states and do all these different things. I wanted him to know, um, to know that, you know, to know that life. I honestly, and I was not impressed with Florida's COVID response and it was scary to me and I didn't want to be there. So all of these reasons feel like on Shark Tank where they go, and for those reasons, I'm out. <laughs> and for those oh. reasons, we were out, yes. And I know that, you know, you're happy to be home and Baltimore has embraced you and you've embraced it right back. How, how does the little guy feel after spending his whole life down in the sunshine state and now he's up here in you know the crab tank <laughs> well you know he likes it it's weird he misses the water which is why during our vacation yeah. we've made sure we've done some water centric things but um he likes being he loves baseball man we went to baseball camp we could have played that day or two but he he likes he knows there's something special about his name, which is Brooks Robinson, that when he yeah. says his name, people smile. Especially he, here. Yes. He likes like being able to walk and get food. He like he's obsessed with World Farm Store. He loves being near his family. He loves museums and like cultural things. He knows now if mommy sees a plaque, she's gonna stop in front of it and read it. Um and he he likes that. And I'm I like that he likes it he misses some things and you know my sister was saying the other day it's weird because COVID for us has been a year and a half of for you and I 50 years for my son and my nephew it's a quarter of their lives you know yeah. and yeah. so it's weird it's weird for us but it's really weird for them because it's so much particularly for kids who've just gone to school he was in kindergarten when they all went home for spring break and never came back you know never went back to the building and now he's spent an entire year doing school from our living room which was not great and we don't recommend it and I'm glad that he will be back um in school mm -hmm. this fall in person um masked or whatever I just want him to go um a because he needs to be educated b because he just needs not to be in my house um <laughs> so we don't need that um it's it's just time but he's hanging in he really is it's he's a really resilient little boy and I think most kids are resilient and he's had so much change from like losing his father and moving a couple times and then moving here and, you know, just getting used to the fact that we used to have a yard in the front and the back. And now it's like our yard is like cinder block <laughs> and an alley. We live next to the alley, multiple alleys. Um, and that is a very Baltimore experience right there. I mean, I grew up in the alley. <laughs> skating yes. roller skating playing ball the whole yeah. nine yards I, did, I see we have questions we're ready we for do questions. so one question that's come up um a couple of times actually from folks who are watching us talk um <laughs> what tell me about your journey towards publishing your book you know okay. like pitching it the editing uh, uh process 
the whole nine yards from just having an idea to making it something people can buy in a bookstore. No problem. So the quick version to that is that I went traditional publishing, which is to say that I published by Little Brown, which is a traditional publishing house. Um, so rather than do Amazon or other self-publishing things, which are really great platforms, I decided to go to the one where you might get a check. Um, because I had a platform as a journalist, um, when I was pitching to agents first, and then who an agent takes you on, and then they pitch the houses for you and your name, and you just give them 15% of your stuff, which my agents both earned it. Um, it took about a, a year to find an agent and I pitched everyone. I would like take an hour at lunch and just pitch people. And finally I found this guy, Rick Pascacello, Pascacello, who used to be the head of marketing at Penguin, what were bought by Random House. He became an agent and he was different than a lot of agents or younger women who I believe saw widow, ew, no, scary. And he was my age and he was um, married with a son and understood uh, well that would be wow i interested in that story also as a journalist he knew that i was able to meet deadlines he knew that i was able i i did get you know you get it personal when you write your whole life and if someone puts an x through it, you go how could you offend my story and my soul you know so you have to get used to that but it took us a, another year we did one round, one round of pitching where um we pitched it and we had some interest, but no one took it. And then we had a second round of pitching where we had two offers, one from a smaller house and one from a little brown. And that was facilitated by James Patterson, the James Patterson, who had written me a fan letter at the Palm Beach Post um, when I first got there and said, I really think you're funny. You know, I think you're great. Keep writing. You're great. I was like, what? So we had become friendly over the years and I had run into him while I was um, pitching the book and mentioned it. And he said, I'd like to read it. I was like, what? <laughs> What's happening? And I tried to be cool about it. Like, sure, James Patterson, most successful author in the world. Sure, you want to read my book? And I run out to the car and call my agent. I'm like, what? So I put it together and I sent it to him. And he calls a week later and says, I would love to send this to Little Brown. And I was like, okay. And he goes, trust me, they're not going to take it if they don't like it. And I was like, great, good to know. So they liked it. And so like, we had two offers, one from them and someone else. We went with them. And so the editing thing, like I said, was very, I'm used to being edited, but this is so long and it's so much of your time, like writing at four in the morning and 11 at night. And Melanie knows I can't stay up past nine. So me writing 11, writing legibly <laughs> at 11 at night is, that makes no sense. But um, I did it. And so it, we, they gave us this date, um, March 10th, 2020. I go, that sounds wonderful. I had no idea what was coming. No idea what, what it was going to be. But um, it was a good process. It was scary. And I think hopefully things will go faster with the next thing. Hopefully that someone wants to buy it and they'll pitch it because now I'm a known quantity. Um, the book, I will say, has done okay. It has not as done as well as I think it would have if it not been released during pandemic but things like this event have given it new life it's gotten new life and people are interested in it and it makes me really happy and we're in a moment as you'd said we're in a moment where so many people are mourning yes so i'm sure the book has a different resonance for a lot of people yes. than it would have had otherwise so there's another um question that we have which i mean i could answer on your behalf but this is your show <laughs> um have you always wanted to write always that's all I ever did Melanie knows when I was in eighth grade I would we'd have projects you had to do for history and I would just I'm just gonna write a play and I would this was and we had a typewriter at home but it wasn't in a word processor so they weren't great so I'd write these plays longhand on note paper and if I messed up at the end I had to like scrap it and start all over which was dumb but then I would bind it with those brads remember those things like you put the brads through the um, yes. and then mm -hmm. through the holes and then you make a book and whatever and I actually won a couple of things with that and I thought well if I can get an A write a book what else write a little play what else can I do and I discovered journalism in ninth grade at the um at, at the collegian at Baltimore City College High School and went okay this is what I'm doing I see Dr. Latanya Wilkins that I did the exact same thing it works it works <laughs> and I thought it's a weird thing that people care about what's in your brain, you know? 
it's so weird that somebody would care about that because sometimes I think it's dumb the things I'm thinking so it it never fails to amaze me when a stranger and I, it happens every several days um will say hey um I read your book and it meant a lot to me and I'm so grateful yeah um I'm so grateful but also I'm um it's just amazing that it's this little weird dorky kid from Northwood that I'm writing things that people in England are interested in and people in Australia and all the places in Asia, people I'm getting letters from. It's very, it's humbling. Um, and it's beautiful. Well, what's next? Yeah. Oh, there's more questions. Oh, there's I didn't see them. I do. One says, I'll read it. It says, are you close to Scott's family? Oh, I don't know why I don't see this. You know okay. what would work? I'm going to put on my glasses. There you go. That works too. Uh, you look so pretty. Um, yes, I actually am close to Scott's family and they're all over the place. Scott has family in South Florida. Um, he has family in Southern Maryland. I just had lunch with uh, his cousins. He has a bunch of cousins that were raised with him like brothers. And um, his actual brother, um, I'm close to uh, Josh who is a teacher, a teaching assistant at, uh, in Baltimore City Public Schools. Mm -hmm. um, we stay in touch with his dad, um, who's in Westminster. Um, his other brother, Michael, lives there as well. Um, he has aunts and cousins and people all over. Um, we have not been able to see all of them physically because of COVID, but um, it's been great that we keep in touch um, because they loved him too. We were just people that like, We've, we lost his mom um, not long after we got married. We lost my dad and a lot of people, but we've just gotten kind of tighter. And I'm so happy that even in the six years, we will have been, he's been gone almost longer than we were together, which is really yeah. scary. And I hate saying that it'll be six years in two weeks, um, the day after your birthday. Yeah. Um, but um, I found this other family and it's really yeah. great. Um, but I, I'll just read Betty says, are oh, there oh, that's my, don't take my job. I have a right. here tonight. Right, Do you? So Betty, Betty Owens has been um, working on or, or um, putting it off writing her book for 40 years. And she wants to know, like, how do you get started? Just write. Just, I know that sounds like, well, duh. But what I mean is just, someone said, I have a friend who, a very good friend of mine who's also my business coach. And I was talking about how my YouTube channel sucked. I had no followers and she said stop worrying about that go get some followers and I have some now not many but I have some she's like worry about what you didn't do and worry about what you're going to do now so Betty first of all fantastic it's so brave to even do that because I would say if I haven't done it for 40 years I, I don't want to do it but you obviously want to so I would just start writing things down like literally when you stop watching this I mean don't do it now finish the conversation but when you're done on your computer or like I used to write this book was written some parts of it sometimes I'd write down lines on the notes mode in the line at Publix or like send out a light or, or whatever but just start writing things and I don't know Betty and you can I'll give you my information if you want to email me um later we can talk about it I'd love to talk to you about it if it's something you've started before and didn't pick back up and you need to figure out where you would start again or if it's just motivation to decide that your story that you have to have is good enough. It is, it is, it's good enough. And I want you to do it. I want you to just start writing and whether it's you want to write just for you to get it out of your brain or whether you want to write it for you because you want to sell it or you just want to put it, post it on Amazon or whatever you want to do. You just have to start putting the, the words from your brain on a page, on a mm -hmm. computer or in your notes mode or on a, on a, in a journal, but I encourage you to do it. So a great follow-up question to that comes from Dr. Latoya Wilkins. She wants to know, because um, she, she's written a memoir of her own, <gasps> and she wants to know, uh, what do you believe made your book stand out in your query letter? Well, um, and if those who don't know, a query letter is what you write when you're trying to find an agent and you're pitching your book and pitching this idea. With memoir, as you know, most of the time you have not finished it. Um, sometimes you have, sometimes you have it because they want to be able to, if it's nonfiction, they want to be able to sort of guide it, the editors that buy it. So um, what I think stood out for me with, I can only answer for the guy who actually made the offer for Rick. And Rick liked 
that the story was about something that someone had lived it wasn't like suppose this happened to you it was this has happened to me and because i was a journalist I, it seemed very raw he knew that i would be able to provide details he knew that i needed that i knew how to write um i don't know about your um your doctorate but it obviously being an, a highly educated person means that you know how to write stuff you know how to write um reports and and doctor thesis theses and those kinds of things so i that would probably be really attractive to people because if they know your background they know that you're reliable you your story has gone somewhere and is going somewhere also i think that for memoir they're looking for a part of your the thing that happened in a part of your life with other things around it not like and then i was born and then this thing happened third chapter and then i went to third grade you know you understand how to make things compelling I think, and I was able to, um, in the in the query and in the book proposal, write down what I was going to do. And of course, a lot of that changed. I was writing it in real time because when I started writing, you know, it had, it was two months, three months. So over that year, we had to move. And I wrote about that. And then the adoption was finalized. And I wrote about that. Um, and there are a lot of things that were kind of expanding, but I kind of knew where it was. But yeah, I'd love to talk to you about it. So- Unless also, just so you know, a couple of the folks listening to your answers to these questions would love to connect with you, um, I to, believe, offline. Yeah, so, I want to put my um, email in the chat. Okay, great. So while you're doing that, uh -huh. our friends at Pratt Library are serious literary scholars. And I, I know this question is um, really challenging. Yeah. I think you're probably up to it as a literary professional oh. because you have a lot of years as a veteran I'm writer, frightened. but what do you prefer, Royal Farms or Publix? Royal Farms. Why? Why? And I think a lot of it is that the Florida people go, what? I don't eat um, cold cuts or meat, so I know like Publix subs, I understand, are like the best thing in the world, but I do eat a Western fry. I do eat more than my share of tasty cake and um, you can't get those there. Also that you can find an Uts in Publix, but they have all of your Uts products. Also Royal Farms are just, it's Publix is a whole grocery store and Royal Farms is just what you're looking for. You know, mm -hmm. it's just the thing that you need. And so that you walk in, you get a Slurpee, you get a thing, you run out. The late great shoppers food warehouse literally had a wall of Uts products, but unfortunately you moved back a year too late. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. that's a bummer. That's a bummer. Yes. Now I'm, I'm going to throw this out there and don't usurp my job, but I do, I do not see more questions. So we can go back to Riffin, which I'm fine. Yes. With. Also, if anyone has so, any more questions, we've got seven minutes. And I do want you to answer this question. So what's what's next? You what next? wrote your book. You had this life event. You wrote this book. Then you picked up and you moved to, you know, you moved from the sunshine state back to, you know, the land of pleasant living. What's coming next? What should your, you know, your fans be looking for? <laughs> As uh, Diva Lacey on uh, Scam Goddess podcast says, where do you want to be failed? Um, <laughs> which I love. Uh, well, I'm back. Like I said, I was doing uh, newspapering until a year ago, and I did a corporate communication job for six months, which I realized was not for me. And um, mostly because it was very um, challenging in a time since we were, just, it was, and it was doing something that was not about using my voice. And when I resigned, I said, you know, I want to use my voice for the things that are I'm passionate about. And it's not just, I only want to write stuff I like, but it was like, I'm fed by writing about culture mm -hmm. and grief and race and parenting mm -hmm. and like weird stuff. And that's what I was supposed to do. So right now I am, among other things, writing artist bios for um, musicians who um, are trying to get their indie career started, which is really great. I'm writing uh, bachelorette recaps for the Seattle Times. I'm doing some really great stuff for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm writing a piece for the Washington Post magazine. Um, I'm just doing a lot of stuff. I'm finishing a, writing a book right now that's fiction. Um, that's an amalgamation of a bunch of stuff I wrote before that I never did with anything with. So I've sort of repurposed them into a really great COVID era, 50-year-old mm. person's romance. What? 
Um, I am trying to sell those things so I can put a bathroom in my room, in my house. Um, and well, I can, let's just be, just to be clear for folks listening, you do have a bathroom in your house. Yes. Oh, I said bathroom in my have room. An additional, oh, in your room. Okay. Uh, in my okay. room, in my house. I want to make I sure people the, know you have indoor yes. plumbing. That's important. Someone said there's still a shopper on Smith Avenue. What? Oh, good. Actually, Glad I've been to, to that shopper. That. That, that was like my, uh, my husband's family's uh, Mount Washington-esque um, artisanal shoppers. But yeah, so basically what I want to do besides get my kid out of the house to go to um, second grade is to be able to just keep doing more stuff. I would, I've talked to uh, Julia at, Julia, at Green Reads about mm-hmm. doing like an outdoor like salon, you know, with local writers and mm-hmm. artists and stuff. I'm going to be appearing in the Creative Alliance's big show um at their theater in highland town in a couple weeks um i just have a lot of stuff that i'm doing um and i'm just so excited to be here to do it and now that i'm doing uh zibby owens who does the moms don't have time to read books grieve travel whatever i'm doing her writer's retreat um as a panelist um in rhode island in the fall i'm doing camp widow again, which is a really great organization for widowed people that does widows conferences. Um, That's in San Diego. Um, And I, who knows where it's going to go, but it's all really weird and new and fun. And I, you know, some of it is very serious, but some of it is really good. Um, It's all really good stuff. And I think this is probably a topic for a whole other conversation. But one thing I love about that answer, the whole answer that you just gave is this is Generation X 50. I do feel like there is a thing in our generation as we are passing that half century mark where mm-hmm. we're just like, you know what? I just want to do things that feed my soul. Yes. I just want to do work that feels important to me or makes me happy or, you know, is, is grounded in those things that I want to explore because I've spent the first half of my life, you know, on the, on the what is it, the little gerbil wheel and now I'm jumping off this gerbil wheel and I'm going to do me because I don't have, you know, another 50 years possibly, or maybe we do, but still no, I want to spend the next 50 years being happy. And I'm so, I feel like that's something that your book, even though you've, you've talked about all of these other ways that you've expanded on that theme mm-hmm. since the events of the book. Yeah, but that's kind of part of where your journey is in that book as well. Yes, because it ends with my son's adoption and that we're yes. starting this new life. And even though we're never going to forget where Scott got us to, we were ready. We're starting a new chapter. Didn't ask for that chapter, but without him, but I started that chapter. And I think as as we're finishing all of those, whatever generation you guys are in, you don't have to ask ask anyone else's permission right. to do it. You don't have to say because some people go. Like these movies that we grew up watching, this woman would like get divorced or her husband would die. And she'd go, now I can, whatever. It's like, don't wait till something bad happens to you to live the life that you were supposed to live. I mean, be responsible. Don't like, you know, write your children, dear John Letters in the middle of the night, run off to the circus. Don't do that either. But um, do the things within your life that make you happy now. So your children can see you happy and that your family can see you happy. And that they didn't go, I wish you had been happier, you know. So I'm, I am happy. I wish I had more projects. Send me your freelance projects. Let me speak for your <laughs> Send me your consulting projects. Yes, do that. But anyway, thank you, baby, so much for doing this with me. I am so happy. This has been such a pleasure. It's been a joy. Thank you. I guess we're going to kick it back to Enoch Pratt. Thank you so much, Leslie and Melanie, for being here with us tonight. I mean, it was so great to get to know both of you a little more, hear you talk about the book and like how, I mean, the before and after during. So thank you. you. Um, I also want to thank the Hearing and Speech Agency for being here providing accessibility tonight. Um, Thank our friends at the Ivy. So go get your book signed um, on Saturday at one o'clock. Um, And of course, thank you all for spending your July evening with us. So again, Leslie, Melanie, um, I can't wait to get to see you in person at the signing. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you guys. And thank you for coming. Okay, so you don't see the email. It's, if you can take this out, it's Leslie at lesliegracestreeter.com. 
Oh, I see. I will copy and paste oh, it. it no, only I think I only put it for panelists. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll do it again. Okay. Music. All right. Fantastic. With not a moment Woo. to spare. All right. All right. I'll give people a moment to copy and paste that, but I hope everyone takes care and stays safe. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.